I'm Kate Northrup. And I'm Mike Watts. And we're partners in life, love, and business. Welcome to the Kate and Mike Show, where we share insights and interviews on entrepreneurship, relationships, parenting, self-actualization, and making a life, not just a living. Welcome to the Kate and Mike Show. This is Mike. And this is Kate. We have an interview today with one of, well, one of our very, very, very dear friends. What were um, you going to say? I'm not oh, is sure. Is that what you're going to say? Yeah, that's oh. what I was going to say. <laughs> Meg, <laughs> Megan Watterson. She is the author of Reveal, The Sutras of Unspeakable Joy, The Divine Feminine Oracle, and Mary Magdalene Revealed, her brand new book. She's also the co-author of How to Love Yourself and Sometimes Other People, which I freaking love that title so much. She's a feminist theologian with a master's of theological studies from Harvard Divinity School and a master of divinity from Union Theological Seminary at Columbia University. Megan facilitates the Red Ladies, a community of radical love that lets her preach about female saints, mystics, gurus, and poets who inspire and teach us to live in service of love. She leads retreats and workshops on the divine feminine, Mary Magdalene, and the Soul Voice Meditation. Her work has appeared in media outlets such as the New York Times, Forbes, the Huffington Post, and Marie Claire. She lives with her old soul son and his exuberant goldfish, Bob. <laughs> is, Bob is her goldfish named Bob? Well, her son's goldfish is named Bob. Oh. So this conversation is not one we have had on the podcast before. I'm really excited about it. This conversation is about religion. And we haven't really, well, we've talked about religion a little bit, but not to the degree that we dove in with Megan. So we talked about what's missing from the Bible and Christianity and why the Bible might not be the, you know, written in stone text that you were always raised to believe it is. We talked about the true path to know God and why there is no ultimate truth outside of us, where Christianity is headed, what the new New Testament is. We also talked about who is Mary Magdalene, right? And so there was a lot of, I find this topic very fascinating because we've talked about this previously before regarding having a Catholic upbringing and being very confused about what is happening, right? Like who's God and Jesus and Mary and Joseph and all these people and how do they all fit into the situation of our current life? I asked Megan the question about what is her take on kind of where we are right now when from a religion standpoint, because the numbers of people that are leaving the church are continually growing. And what does that look like for her? Or mm-hmm. what does that look like from her perspective as somebody that's really studied these things. So that's what I always love talking with her about because she's been a student of religion, basically. I mean, she's and, an academic. Yeah. And so a lot of times you we hang out with people who like read the Bible, which is cool, right? But then this is somebody that understands it from a much deeper perspective in the history of what's going on. So I always find that fascinating. And a much more holistic perspective because she has studied it from both the internal and external. What I love about Megan's approach is she brings her whole self to the conversation. So she's not an academic who lives neck up with disembodied knowledge. Megan is somebody who runs everything through her lived experience, through her body, and that's where she knows the truth. And that's where she guides people to truly know the truth. And I think her book, Mary Magdalene Revealed, is incredibly important. It's groundbreaking and it will change your life. For me as a woman, even though I wasn't raised in the church, it changed me on a cellular level. And I'm so excited that we got to have this conversation with Megan. The book is out today. It's pub day. So get yourself a copy of the book, listen into the episode, and we can't wait to hear what you think about this one. Enjoy. Hi, Meg. <laughs> Hi, you two beautiful souls. I love you so much. We're so happy to have you. Do you know that you have not yet been on the Kate and Mike show, which is shocking I, to me? Like, I know. I know. We, we, were, we were saving up for this. We were saving it for this. We were saving ourselves for 
<laughs> for your book release, I guess. She was yep. on my podcast when I did that. That's back in the true. Day. Yep. About the divine feminine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll link that up in the show notes. Yep. Okay, so Meg. Yes. It's your third book baby's birthday today. <laughs> Mary Magdalene revealed wow. Christianity we have not tried yet is out. It is arriving <laughs> on our doorstep. I think I pre-ordered it twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh no, the first apostle, her feminist gospel and the Christianity we haven't tried yet. Yes, that's the full subtitle. But I, I liked you jumping straight to the puncher. <laughs> you, uh, I was... I was talking to, I was getting kombucha filled up the other day and I was talking to the woman that was filling up our kombucha and I was like, I'm reading and she was, she was like, oh, I got to get that. <laughs> so you should just carry five books around with, <laughs> with a square and you can just sell books constantly. <laughs> Megan, I just want to know, because I don't read a lot of books in the theology I read no books yeah. in the theology category other than the ones that you write. Yeah. So I am curious. There's no other book that's but this is well, this is the first this is like a seminal work. Well, it's it's a hybrid cuz as you've mentioned it's sort of a genre that breaks all genre like it doesn't really exist because I wanted to take the very you know theological and mind oriented details and information that I learned by going to divinity school and seminary, right? That's a commitment of like five and six years of, and I wanted to distill that into a book that's really approachable, that isn't intimidating and where I can be my, you know, theological geek self, but also really relate it in a way where I'm also talking about my real personal transformation that I went through by coming across Mary's gospel, how it really authentically changed my life and has impacted my life. And that was very intentional as well, because, you know, there's a lot of theological works and there's a a lot of books that are in that genre of theology that come from the mind and that are very much about the mind and sort of present themselves as if they are the only perspective or a certain truth. There's like a, and a big part of this book is, is really understanding that everything is an interpretation. Everything is an interpretation. And I wasn't going to hide, you know, the way that this is just what I encountered. What I want most is for everyone to encounter her gospel in their own way, not just through, you know, my voice or my personal, like it's decentralizing that whole enterprise of interpreting the gospel and saying, this is the word. Well, that's your interpretation of these ancient texts. And here's mine. Here is what is true and resonates with my experience. And I'm not going to leave my body out of the story. You know, I include it. I include the way that this has really asked me to heal all the way back and all the way through. And that has to include the body. Yeah. I'm not interested in reading books that disembody information and take it away from the lived experience of a human being because to me, they're meaningless and they're so boring. <laughs> and what I loved about your book is how hysterically funny it is. <laughs> I don't know that like you would look at the cover of this book and think, oh, this is going to be hysterical. But one of the little known facts about you, I don't know if it's little known, but um, <laughs> is you're freaking funny. So the I'm, book is I'm quirky, I guess I've been told. <laughs> quirky, so well-written. I cried. I laughed out loud many, many times. And I love the way that you have married, essentially, like, I think it's a theological memoir. Yeah, I love that term. All theology, you know, all writing about the divine, which, you know, we can only know through our own lived experience because there's no data on this. (laughs) Right. Right. The only way we could <laughs> interpret it is through our own lived experience. So I wish everyone would do that, but I love that you've gone first. So well done. Well done, Meg. So who is Mary Magdalene? <laughs> 
Well, first, I would say, I Mitzker, <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> first, I would say that is the question. And that's for us each to answer, right? Like I am not when one of the final chapters really puts it back into the readers, that question, that exact question, like who is Mary Magdalene to you? That's as significant as anything that I've said in the book. So that I think is a question we each have to answer ourselves because as Kate pointed out, there is no empirical data. <laughs> like there's nothing we can point to. There are no Instagram posts and Facebook, you know, there's nothing, there's no direct way that we can ever get back exactly her character, exactly her story. However, what we do know that is true is that in the fourth century, there was an effort to codify what Christianity was going to be, okay? Because before that, for hundreds of years, there were all of these various Christianities, which is how Dr. Karen King from Harvard describes it as. It was, there were all these communities that were like, what in the world just happened? Like, who was that? And what do we do now? And so all these different communities were trying to interpret what and who Christ was and what does it mean now? You know, what do we do with the experiences that we have and the teachings that we have? And one of those strands of Christianities, which is the one that I try to faithfully write about in Mary Magdalene Revealed, is a community that believed that Mary Magdalene had a singular relationship with Christ. We don't even need to go into what exactly that relationship was. It was singular. Because if you include the texts that were excluded in the fourth century, right, when they created the Bible that you would find, as I've, I've said, you know, like at a hotel or a church, but like anywhere, like they're everywhere. That yeah, Bible. The Bible and the Book of Mormon are the two staples that are in almost every hotel now. Right, exactly. Yeah, the Book of Mormon at more places, which is a total <laughs> side conversation, but interesting. So, so that version of the New Testament. Depends how much money you got. The more money you got in your religion, you can get those Bibles out there. <laughs> well, okay. So, no, well, but. Okay. But. Well, that is, it got endorsed by Constantine, okay? So Constantine wanted this persecuted and crazy radical cult called Christianity. It was this religion that said, we are all equal. We are here to love one another. We are here to defy this random hierarchy of existence that Roman society has assigned for men, for women, for whether we are slaves, whether we are freeborn, whether we're citizens, are, you know, depending on what country we come from, there was this very strict hierarchy, right, which we totally understand because it still exists today. This hierarchy that ranked our existence from most important, you know, nearer to God to least important and really unworthy of even our time. So, what Constantine wanted to do was to take this, you know, really persecuted religion. And I say persecuted because we do have documentation of, you know, leaders in the church like Perpetua, who was martyred and she was killed for confessing that she was a Christian. Okay. And that happened in 200. So this is late. 200 AD. AD. Exactly. So we're talking about later. Constantine wanted to make Christianity like state religion. But what needed to happen was that he needed to, it needed to be tamed a little bit. It needed to look a little bit more like the hierarchy that already existed in the Roman structure so that people could swallow it, you know, because if they accepted it in the way it was, they would say men and women are equal, slave and freeborn are equal, Jew and Gentile are equal, which that was like, they weren't ready for that. They weren't ready for that. So, you asked who Mary Magdalene is, and I would say she was one of our greatest teachings to receive by simply being able to listen to her, by simply being able to recognize that she had a very unique message to give us simply in the fact that it had been left to her because she would have been the, considered the least among them, the one actually unworthy 
of secret teachings, the one unworthy to be so beloved to Christ because she was not a man. She did not have power. She was, you know, and so that that's very in alignment with in my heart, how I understand Christ is making the first, the last and who the ego perceives as the least among us the most, you know? So to me, he bequeathed us this incredibly powerful gift by giving secret teachings to Mary Magdalene that actually it would have taken the disciples to transcend their egos and their understanding of what it means to be male and female in order to receive it. And they weren't able to. And so what happened at that time in the fourth century is gospels like the gospel of Mary Magdalene, the gospel of Thomas and the gospel of Philip, which all confirm this very unique and special relationship that Mary had with Christ and that confirm he left very unique instructions for her to give to us. Those were all considered heretical. And then there was an edict shortly after that ecumenical council that was creating the Bible. There was an edict that was sent out to have all copies of those gospels destroyed. Where and when were they found? Isn't that amazing? So there's a chapter in the book called Why I Could Kiss a Copt. So there were these Coptic Christians, which are Egyptian Christians. And I literally, I imagine just total French kissing on them for doing this, but they disobeyed that edict. They refused to destroy Mary's gospel. So basically that edict created like, you know, Egypt became this land of buried treasure. So all, all of the um, sort of fragmented bits of Mary's gospel that we have, it all came from Egypt along the Nile and it was buried, um, most likely from these cops, these Egyptian Christians buried it. spelled C-O-P-T? Yes. I know it sounds like I'm saying cop, it but does. it's copped. <laughs> copped. Copped. <laughs> so they buried them. And then who found them and when? So, you know, I talked about this in the beginning because I feel like it's really a part of the whole energy around us becoming ready to really begin to integrate her gospel, really begin to integrate the figure that she represents, really beginning to heal the fragmented Christianity that's been practiced ever since women were weeded out and the body was weeded up. So in 18, I believe it was 95, in a, an antiquities market in Cairo, there was this, he was a scholar, Carl Reinhardt found one of the fragments and he recognized, oh my God, you know, this is ancient scripture. And so he began the arduous process of translating it and authenticating it. So even though Mary- How does he know this? Does it just say like ancient scripture at the top? <laughs> yeah. Like- It says, written by Mary Magdalene, buried by the cop. It's on a clipboard. Pay, pay attention. Is there a person that says, I'm carrying ancient scripture? It was scriptures? covered in glitter. Yes, yes. So, you know, he's a scholar and this is the blessing that they give to all of us is they, they are, we, we are all geniuses in our own particular ways, you know, or special in our own. And he knew how to recognize the ancient papyrus. It was written in, so one was written in Coptic, which is the ancient language of the Copts, Coptic language. And so one was in Coptic and then the other two were found in Greek. So it's on papyrus, it's ancient Greek, you know, it's, and, and then they have ways like through, I don't know, cause this isn't my specialty, but they have their magical ways of testing and being able to authenticate the, the date, carbon date. So they found three fragments of this, which for scripture that's as ancient as this, that's an indication of how um, many times it had been duplicated by these monks. So, you know, they didn't have a printing press. They didn't have publishers back then. Like the monks were really the publishing houses of these scriptures. And so the fact that, you know, they had been ordered to be destroyed and yet three copies were found is a, a very, very powerful indication that this was actually a very well-read gospel. Right. At the time. And these three different copies were at different places. So yes. one, was, one was in that antiquities market. All in Egypt, yes. And they were all in Egypt, found at different times, but around yeah. the same time? 
Right. And something that a lot of people sort of confuse is that they think the Gospel of Mary is a Gnostic gospel and was found at Nag Hammadi. That's become a bit more popularized. And some people have heard of that because of, you know, like Dan Brown and the whole, you know, the sort of talking about Mary Magdalene and, and the Gnostic gospels, like which Elaine Pagels writes about um, and I adore. But her gospel was not among those findings. So sometimes what happens is people think like, oh, the gospel of Mary, that's a Gnostic gospel. That's like a separate thing from Christianity. That's like some weird wonky cult that was going on. And I think one of the largest sort of slap me on the forehead moments when I was in divinity school was really taking in that truth and that understanding that actually I had been kind of almost undermining the power and the importance of Mary's gospel because I'd been lumping it with this idea of a Gnostic gospel. So I'd been seeing it as separate. What Gnostic mean? Sorry to interrupt you. That's no, thank you. I, I need You're this. Say a lot of words that I'm in. I know. And I need this because it, it helps. So Gnostic. We can have conversations all day no. long, Megan, and I could be like, this is, I'll tell you, like, bring it down to Indiana terms here. Thank you. Well, and I'm right next door in Ohio, so, well, who knows where I am? No, I know. Operate on a level that. I know. I know. You've always called me an alien, and I understand that. I really do. So, it, gnosis is such a beautiful word, and it really just means self-knowledge but it's not self as in the ego it's the true self so to be a gnostic is someone who knows the true self within and the idea of gnosticism is focusing on this inward journey so on that level mary magdalene's gospel is very much in line with that because she emphasizes or rather her conversation with christ emphasizes that the treasure is within Right. So the, and the kingdom of God is within like the child of true humanity, which is the phrase that's often used in her gospel. What that phrase means though, is like the ultimate self, the true self, the soul, the aspect of us that never changes that is within. So Gnosis is this emphasis that the path to know God is actually to know the true self. So the deeper we go inward, this is why I like this phrase further up is further in. So like, a lot of people think God is out there and above and beyond. And it's a part of like this hierarchical, you know, idea that we have ingrained in us that God is up there and the angels are up there. But this idea is that actually the divine is within. And if you want to meet with an angel, you know, just put a stethoscope to your heart and start listening. You know, like that's, that is the path to the truth. That's beautiful. That was beautiful. It's true. How many of us have actually listened to our own heart? <laughs> like with the stethoscope and actually like, well, it's an interesting practice. Yes. You could take it literally and metaphorically. You could. Yeah. Either and way, it's beautiful. Some people literally need to do it. It turns right? out, or Meg, this may interest you. This is a, just a nugget of information I gathered today from my homeopath and integrative practitioner, Lindy Griegel. She's doing this studying in positive psychology. And the newest data is showing us actually that, so we've known about the gut brain connection and that, right. you know, the, the largest source of serotonin, it's, it's actually developed in the gut, but they're finding that the true seed, the physiological seed of emotions are actually in the heart. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Isn't that interesting. Yes. I didn't know that. And I yes. just thought that was cool. And the ancients, the ancients would agree. Of course. And they knew that already. We're just, you know, needing data to remind us of what <laughs> already know. Oh, you're about to ask. I'm about to, what are you? Okay. You go. So that was, we just got what the Gnostic gospels are, mm -hmm. which is different than what Mary Magdalene's gospel and the other gospels that are included in Constantine. Is it known as Constantine's Bible? No. It will no, it just became the oh, New Testament. Yeah, the New Testament. It was the Council of Nicaea that was in the fourth century. And, and that's and, still the one that's in the hotels. Yeah. 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 So what is okay, so where did all of these religions come from? Right? Like how did this all start? Wait. Okay. 
By what re- what religion? So there's like some people are Protestant and other people. Oh, are oh, oh. Christianity. Yeah. Okay. Well, what about Islam? Right? Like, how does this? <laughs> it's all, a different religion. <laughs> I understand that. So I thought all Protestant and all these other things were different religions too. But now you're identifying. So, so talk me back. Like, where these things are? Well, Scientology, right? Like, these are different religions, right? Right. So, like, where did all of this? I mean, I know L. Ron Hubbard started Scientology. But <laughs> I'm reading his book right now, The uh, Dianetics, actually. I, so. I, I know very little about it except Tom Cruise's involvement. <laughs> That's all I get. <laughs> but anyway, so like where, let's talk about the Christianity aspect. So there's like yeah. variations of Christianity that people go to church to, right? Exactly. So, so, so religion, like as much, it's like you're Protestant, you're, you could be Catholic, you're this, and you go to a right. church, right? Right. Like, so right. that's what my understanding is. And then right. Catholic, like there was this guy, Jesus, who was Jewish, but I was Catholic. Right. And then I believed to this guy who was Jewish, but I'm Catholic. So I was confused. <laughs> right. Like, Why am yes. I not Jewish? Right. This guy. Right. Christ, Christ was not, he was not Christian. You know, it, it is important to recognize that like Christ didn't create Christianity. It was something that was formed hundreds of years after he walked the earth. So that is really important to recognize. And, you know, all throughout the centuries, that same wrestling that happened in the fourth century with creating what would be considered canon. So by, by that word canon, I mean, what's going to be codified as scripture, you know, that has been contested and has been edited and has been, you know, people have been debating and arguing about what does the Trinity mean? You know, should there be a Trinity at all? So that's where Unitarians come in because they don't believe in the Trinity. They just want to believe in Christ's message and, and love. So it's, it's all been a constant evolution, which began the moment he was crucified. You know, the moment Mary Magdalene was like, he has risen and she was his witness. So it's always been about interpretation and it's always been about trying to understand the message, like what is the message? And for me, when I came across her gospel, I felt like it illuminated the Bible for me. I felt like I could understand aspects of it that just didn't make any sense until I also had Mary's gospel. So the Bible that I like to refer to is the new New Testament, which I write about in Mary Magdalene Revealed. And it's was edited by a scholar that I worked with at Columbia when I was in divinity school. And he brilliantly reintegrated those texts that had been edited out during that Council of Nicaea. He brought them back in. So texts, for example, like the Acts of Paul and Thecla. I talk about Thecla and my palms start sweating. Like I love her. I have never had a girl crush like I have on Thecla from the moment I first heard about her. But I think this is what's really significant. We all know who Paul is, right? Even if we're not Christian, like most people have heard about Paul. They know that Paul was an apostle. They, they've heard of him to some extent. Even if you don't go to church, you probably have heard of Paul, the apostle. But you've probably never heard of Thecla, you know, who Thecla was. Because of you. Right. So, but here's what's so powerful. She was as much an apostle as Paul was. She just got edited out during that Council of Nicaea. There are ancient paintings of Paul and Thecla teaching together from like 500 AD that are painted in caves in Turkey. But no one knows who the lady is standing next to Paul because they've never heard of Thecla. They've never heard of the acts of Paul and Thecla. And in the Acts of Paul and Thecla, the reason why it was edited out, Thecla baptizes herself. And all the women unify their voices as if one mouth to save her. Now that is radical. Now that is, you know, that's love unifying itself. That's overcoming the powers that would want to silence such love and such beauty. And, you know, hurt the vulnerable and kill and silence, you know, the vulnerable. And Thecla had to wear this 
word across when, when she was being condemned in, in the arena that was just sacrilege. And she was stripped naked and she had to walk out into this, the, the arena. And the only thing she had done was refuse a man in a position of power. She refused to become his wife. That was her only crime. So, and we can identify with this right now. You know, we can, and she was a teenager. So, but the love that was so loud in her unified all the women in the arena and they stopped cheering for her murder and they, they started cheering for her freedom and her, her release and her love unified their voice into one mouth. And so they overcame the Roman, really the R Roman empire in that moment by freeing Thecla. So, and that's really dangerous. You know, that's to a certain extent, that's really threatening to a world order. It's even really today. even, and especially today, today, that is really dangerous to say, oh, the least among us is actually the most powerful. Can unify us all into one mouth and say, I am not separate from that person that's about to be killed unjustly. I'm not separate from that person. And yeah, it moves me so deeply. But so what, Dr. How Talsig did is he put gospels like the Acts of Paul and Thecla, he put it back where he felt like it should belong, which is in our concept of what it means to be Christian. Like we can't know Paul without knowing about Thecla, right? We can't understand who Paul was without knowing the person who he ministered and was an apostle beside. She's supposedly buried along beside him and was an she taught and was a minister for as long as he was, you know, well into her 90s. The, these are stories that, you know, I, I can't ultimately say, someone asked me in an interview recently, like, why are you like this? You know, like, why, like, why, why have you been obsessed with Mary Magdalene? For, and I can't answer that. It's really a mystery, right? Like, I don't know. I mean, I have no idea but it's like nothing resonates with me more than, and I don't, because I, I don't even call myself Christian. <laughs> so it's like, but I am what Thecla is, you know, I am that like nothing, nothing moves me more. <laughs> and now I'm crying. <laughs> so I want to know then in that vein, because what I love so much about this book and your work is the human, is the living in this quirky body and being this, <laughs> you know, kind of like alien creature person who's very human, you know, which we all are that, and that your way is being in the body, not transcending right. the body. Right. So in your lived human experience, what feels so important about Mary Magdalene's story for you? Thank you. That's, it's just, I love your, I love you guys. And I love these questions. So there is this passage from the gospel of Philip. And, and I, I put it at the top of a chapter that's titled the body never lies. And what, this passage means to me really touches to why I feel the gospel of Mary Magdalene is so powerful because it says nothing can happen without this body, right? Whatever you say, you say in this body. And then it goes on to relate awake within this body, resurrect in this life. So it's helping us understand the idea of the resurrection as a metaphor that what we want to focus on is coming home again and again and again to the heart, to being right here, right? To being able to be present. The word in Aramaic for death is existing elsewhere. Aramaic is the language that Christ spoke. So this idea of a death as existing elsewhere, when we really understand that, then every time we come home to the present, like when we're really actually here and not existing elsewhere, which, and I bring up in the book, it's very difficult for many of us who have experienced trauma to be able, it, it is a triumph to be able to be here, to not have to exist elsewhere, to be dead. But 
what's so powerful about that passage from the gospel of Philip is it's saying, okay, so resurrection isn't something that just happens once. It doesn't happen just when we die and our soul leaves this beloved body. Resurrection is something that we're meant to do right now, again and again, hopefully throughout our lifetime, constantly trying to transcend this idea of the ego being the only thing we identify with and coming back to the heart again and again and again. And that's, you know, it might seem very, you know, there's no bells and whistles or trumpets or golden light or big parades. You know, it's, it's an uncelebrated moment. It's very intimate and it's very quiet and it's unassuming, but for me, it has the weight of what happens in the resurrection story. It does mean coming back to life. And it does carry that import, you know, that's, that's conveyed with Easter and, you know, the whole being dead for three days. And it carries, because it's that important. I think it's how we evolve as we learn to keep coming back, to keep, you know, rising again allowing the soul to rise, but in this body, in this life. And you're talking about our individual bodies. Yes. Being here in our, yes. 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 I feel like that must resonate with you, Mike, with all that you've been through physically. Uh, Does it? Well, it does. Yes. Yes. I was just explaining for listeners on here. Oh, no, it does. I mean, (laughs) I talked to you when I was really sick and like at my worst in the, on the floor, you know, house and, and I mean, that's been the biggest learning for me since last year. It, it's like just listening to myself, listening to what I want to do, what makes sense. And am I right or am I wrong? You know, and it's really, cause even Kate and I, like, this is for a lot, much longer conversation. Like Kate's going through some business consulting, I guess, right now with someone. And she came back from her first session and it really confirmed a lot of thoughts or ideas that I had a long time ago but then I thought they weren't right. You know, mm. second guessed myself. Do I, right. know what I'm doing? do I understand? Right. But her coming back and kind of supporting, getting on the same page, it's for, it was val is validation. Right. Especially since I've been sick, but also through this experience recently about like really it's because so much on a daily basis, we're told we're not correct. Exactly. We're told our bodies are not correct. We're right. To not trust, to not trust ourselves. And right. so, there's another pill. There's another solution. There's right. another vaccine, <laughs> vaccine, right? Like I went to right. our Rite Aid the other day. There's three signs for vaccine. So it's like mm-hmm. right on the top of my, you know, you need all of these things, right? Right. And so you got to try these shoes and this car and this house is bring happiness, more money, this type of food, right. you know, only kale on Sundays at 7 a.m. because that's the optimal time to eat kale, right? Like, it's just like all of this stuff. And the one thing that we are dealing with that I am with every single day, every second of the day is myself. Right. Right. And if I'm not comfortable with my own body and with myself or the negative self-talk, yeah, it really throws you off. Right. So I get it. Right. And I would say that would be if there's a takeaway or, you know, something I would hope most for a reader is to be able to begin to become more intimate with that voice, that sense of heart, that sense of truth and believing it, you know, believing it enough to take action on it. Because that's that really is at the heart of her gospel. The disciples at the end of it don't believe her story. They don't believe her within it. Peter especially doesn't believe her that Christ could have given her secret teachings. Cause he says a woman, are we to believe, you know, <laughs> that Christ gave Mary a woman, you know, these teachings and not to us, the men. So she wasn't believed. And I feel like there's something so powerful in that. And then saying, you know, I believe Mary and I believe it because I've begun and have practiced since encountering her gospel, how powerful it is to really hear what's true for me. And even if it's not validated outside of me, believing it enough to take action on it. Can you tell us about, it could be a time that you wrote about in your book because you have so many phenomenal stories, but it could be something else because I know how it goes. You turn into a, you turn in a book and then a lot of other things happen in your life. That don't <laughs> in the book. Um, but can you tell us about a time that maybe comes to mind when 
you did have that experience of hearing something from your soul voice, as you call it, um, that was not validated in the outside world that you then listened to and trusted and took action on anyway? I don't know why this example is coming up, but it was when I was doing a reveal at Urban Zen. So this is years and years ago before I wrote Reveal. I had written a book proposal and I'd given it to an agent. And there was some buzz about the Reveal conference that was going to happen at Urban Zen. And, you Can know... You explain to people what Reveal is? Like, do you so yeah. so I, basically, I just wanted to, to gather together women from different backgrounds, different faith traditions, because I really felt like... I was a Christian of a Christianity that didn't exist yet (laughs) or that we haven't tried yet. And, you know, I had this deep desire to talk about these ultimate questions from a feminist perspective or anchored and centered around women and women's experience, you know, especially women who were somehow spiritually grappling with a tradition or wanting to write in different ways about their tradition. And so I started putting on these conferences and it grew for a couple of years in New York City and it was really formational for me. But so I think this was the second reveal was at Urban Zen and my literary agent was really, really on me to present the book proposal to the publishing houses right then before the conference happened. And, you know, I did my little soul voice meditation, like the things I do. And I really wanted to hear a yes, because I've always known I'm here to write. You know, I was not, I never saw being like a conference organizer or, you know, that was never something I saw, but it was always clear to be a writer. And so I wanted to hear a yes, but I I heard very clearly no, you know, and I kept going around it, you know, trying, I sometimes try to grab my soul by the collar. It's like, I'll keep asking you until you tell me the right answer. So I was asking again and again and again, and a lot of people were giving me this feedback like, what are you doing? You know, this doesn't make sense. Like, you really want to capitalize on blah, 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 blah. And I just, it was one of those moments where, and this is what builds that relationship with that true self, is that I believed that voice more than anyone outside of me. It wasn't logical. This is about the heart. You know, this is different. It's a different realm. And so I, I just kept saying no and kept saying no. And then Patty Gift, my editor and the editor of, you know, Mary Magdalene Revealed and the editor of Reveal and every book, she was sitting in the front row of that reveal. And it was aligned in a way that I could have never on an ego level contrived. You know, it was it was truly meant to unfold in the way that it did. And so that after the conference happened, then I finally heard the yes. And I told my literary agent and it just all unfolded in the way it was meant to. But I couldn't have understood it. It's it's a different it's leading from within. And it's very, it's very different. And it can be very frustrating to the ego. Very. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I just, for listeners, you can get that soul voice meditation on Megan's website, meganwaterson.com. So just go do that. And, you know, coincidentally, I don't know if you know this, but I'm sure you do. That reveal was also where I ended up doing my talk. And then Patty, you know, we ended up both publishing at the- And Latham. Yeah. Yeah. It was very powerful. That was a- It was. major day. It was a great great day. It was a great day. It was a great day. So a question that I hear women asking a lot is how do I know the difference between, you know, my intuition or my soul voice and fear? I know it's such a good question. And I have to go back to how we began with Mike's question about who is Mary Magdalene, because ultimately I wish I had an answer for that. But the journey is that we each have to decipher that and discern that for ourselves. There is a very clear difference, but you know, it's, it's different for each of us. And I can't know what it's going to feel like 
within someone else to be able to validate for them. Oh yes, that's, you know, if there's anyone telling you, oh, that is your soul, you know, or like, oh, that's your ego. They don't know. They do not know. No one can know. That's the beauty and kind of, you know, the stick of it is that you've got to do the work yourself to be able to, you know, discern between what is the voice of the soul and what is the voice of the ego. I can say that on that soul voice meditation, I, I address that because it is a question that comes up so often and it's so valid. But what I say is that I can't tell you what it's going to be like for you, but I can say what it is for me. And it's that there's a, a very distinct quality to the ego because the ego lives in chronos, right? In chronological time. So it's very logical and it, it has a limited, like the ego knows we've only got so much time here, right? So the ego's very stressed out. And I like to refer to mine as a used car salesman. So he's like, it's like really stressed out and there's only so much time. It's like, oh, this has to happen then. And, you know, or the ego. So there's a sense of pressure. And then there's also a sense of judgment that I can always, you know, it's like either inflation or deflation. So the ego is, is either like really impressed with itself or can feel like absolutely nothing. Whereas the soul is sort of, it's this essence of always right sizeness. You know, it's, it's not this sense of, you know, being impressed with itself, but there's also this, this sense of knowing and worth that isn't conditional to anything. So when the soul comes in, when it's the soul voice, it can be something that scares the shit out of me, but the wake, like the impression of it is just expansion. It's just like, yes, you know, and that's a feeling and a, and a sensation that only I can really be able to identify and, and someone else would have to really, you know, what's the sensation of that? For me, it's constriction. If I can like narrow it into one word, the ego's constriction and the soul's expansion, no matter what is being said, you know, again, even if it's something that scares me, I still feel this sense of like, you know, like, and that no matter when I do it, there's no timeline. Because the soul's eternal, which is really hard to grasp, right? Because the ego can't grasp it. The ego's like, what? And so the soul's eternal. So it doesn't... Well, explain that, please. Like the soul is eternal. So there is an I'm essence... My soul advisor that I hired this year. <laughs> find my, help me find my soul. <laughs> I should not. I should fire that person. <laughs> well, if they're helping you get in touch with yours, you just don't want to listen to theirs. <laughs> I, I'm kidding. I don't have a soul advisor. Oh, okay. I thought you were serious. That could exist. So That's good advice, though. Right? There, like yes. Like you just said, because that happens a lot of times we hire yes. people. Yes. We hire people to like help us build our business or help us deal with trauma. Right. But we're, we're actually avoiding really getting intimate with what we already know is right for us. And what's right for us might not to be to have some ginormous enterprise or something like we might, our ego might want that, but it might actually not be what's highest for us. You know, what's highest isn't what's visible. It's something we experience. We can't see it, you know? So ultimately, well, so within this gospel of Mary, there is an idea and a concept that we possess. And there is an aspect of it. So Christ says in a dialogue that they have there, where the mind is, is the treasure. Now that set me off. You know, I had to write like a bazillion papers and be a total geek for several years about that word in Greek is new. The word for mind is actually new, N-O-U-S. And it does not mean mind in the sense, the modern sense now that we think of it, because this is pre-Descartes. So the Greek understanding of mind actually resided in the heart, as Kate was talking about with, you know, the research, the embodiment, that the true mind, the true self exists in the heart. They're not separate. And what the ancient hesychists, who I studied in order to develop the soul voice meditation, what the ancient hesychists did, they were Christian contemplatives, these crazy desert monks. They would bring all of their consciousness into the heart 
in order to experience this eternal self, this true self, which abides within us for as long as we're here. But the new is the bridge between the soul and this ego. So the new is what those ancients would describe as the spiritual eye of the heart. So this is the aspect while we're embodied, while we're in this limited mortal form and very necessarily have to have this filter of the ego, right? Otherwise I'd be grocery shopping nude, right? Like we have to have this ego. It's not an obstacle. It just doesn't need to be in the driver's seat. So we need the ego, but how do we connect to that aspect of the eternal while we're in this very, you know, limited egoic, you know, field. So what the ancient said was that the new is our capacity. The spiritual eye of the heart is our capacity to be able to actually experience that truth that we are eternal. And that experience can come in many different ways. It can come in visions. It can come in voice messages. You know, Jung, the the Swiss psychiatrist, Carl Jung, would describe it as the unconscious. So it's this whole other that's beyond the ego, right? So we can receive information that our ego can't even understand how we received or how we know. It's this part of us that within this understanding came with us when we arrived and like when, when we were born, but then, and it will go with us. Like, so it's the constant. I don't know if you've ever had that experience of like a self that doesn't change even as everything around you does. Yeah. So it's that. And there were, and of course they were in Egypt, these um, Hesychus, they worked on, trying to merge with that new to be in union with that sense of the fact that we are, are eternal. There's an aspect of us that's eternal, which does not mean, and I need to say this very loudly that we hover, you know, above the ground and, you know, only eat water and wear white. It's, it's not about that at all. It's about, it's a gritty business. It's a very, very, you know, it's like mud wrestling constantly trying when we are enraged, you know, when our ego is um, shattered or when our ego is inflated, trying to touch to that part of us that can just, you know, allow us to come back home to what's true, to what can never be taken away, to what is always going to be the truth, you know, to that it's so humble. It's so amazing. It's for me, it's like, you know, changing into flats after being in high heels for too long. It's just, it's the most incredible feeling, but you cultivate it. It's not like something that happens once. I always wanted it to be that way, you know, like I'll reach it and then that's it done. You know, like I'm seeing with the spiritual eye of the heart, goodbye, you know, all done. But the whole point, for me, what this gospel would relate, the whole point is that we're meant to be human. We're meant to fall, you know, back deep and hard into the ego and break and mourn and do things from the ego only to be able to remember the soul again. So I have a question. So this weekend I was hanging out with some friends and I've seen this, you, I see this a lot on social media, et cetera. It's like, I follow like I just follow everything Jesus teaches. Right. Mm. And like, that's my follower. Right. So for me, I kind of understand because I didn't under, I'm like, I don't know what that means. I don't understand that. Like, I don't, do you just do everything that like read in the Bible and like, that's what you just do. It never made sense to me, but now I'm kind of, if you said to me at this point to be like, I just follow the teachings of Mary Magdalene. And then I get it because you're coming to me, you can correct me as I, but just as my interpretation of this conversation is like, you're taking her teachings and then you're bringing them back to yourself about how it translates through your system. Is that correct? Right. I love that you're, you're asking this and saying this. So there's also a danger about this where it's like, 
you give everything to, let's say, Jesus or Mary, and that's your right. to live your life through exactly. their lens instead of taking their teachings and living it through my lens. Exactly, because then heaven has a gatekeeper, right? Rather than heaven being within and right here and right now and accessible to absolutely everyone. His so Sam, though, by the way. <laughs> the gatekeeper? The gatekeeper, uh, yeah. I hello, Sam. Sam. Mm-hmm. I love you, Sam. Well, so, we'll balance it. There's a man and a woman, so <laughs> Sam is a man. So the, yeah, I think that's the ultimate teaching really in the gospel of Mary is there's this passage where Christ says, be on your guard so that no one will, no one will distract you and say, look over here and look over there because the child of true humanity is within. So he's warning us really exactly with what you're talking about. Someone saying, oh, well, Christ said this and Christ said that, or Mary said this and Mary said that, or there is no ultimate truth outside of us that we can know the importance of Mary's gospel. What we miss without her gospel is that there is the Jesus we can know, you know, through our experience and interactions with other people and community and, you know, through a lot of what we resonate with in terms of what Christ might've done, but so much injustice, so much harm has been done in the name of Christ. And, you know, for someone, and and I've already begun to experience this of people telling me who the true Christ is, you know, like when I speak on behalf of a Christ that may be an unconditional love, you know, people have come to me and, and they want me to, you know, get real with, the church or get real with Christ, you know, the Christ that actually has a very narrow door, you know, <laughs> that people have to have sex with certain people and people have to be a certain, you know, they have to look and be a certain way in order to receive Christ's love. And that's just not my experience. That's not my truth. And so what we miss without Mary's gospel is this teaching that Christ gives to Mary because Mary could receive him from within her heart. So her gospel is teaching us to trust this voice of love that we hear within us more than anything outside of us, right? So there's a Christ we can only know from within. We can't learn in any scripture. We can't learn in any church. We can only learn by actually going into our hearts and encountering. So it's an experience. It's an encounter. It's not something that happens outside of us. And so, you know, ultimately then that is, it's sacred, it's secret, it's, it's within. Hmm. Thank you. Thanks. Well, I have more questions. Well, we are very close. (laughs) (laughs) I want to also ask more questions and I also, we are also (laughs) in Kronos. Right. (laughs) So what is your take on... A lot of this sounds very, it's like the patriarchy, right? Like men decided we're going to take all the Mary Magdalene's views out of this thing. And we're going to just, this out of the Bibles and the teachings. And like, we're going to run with all the dudes. Like, this is it, right? So like the patriarchy seems like it took place in the Christianity world, which is very much led into where we are today, right? Is that correct? Because you talk, you said it hierarchical. Yes, yes. The Roman structure was very patriarchal. So what do you think... Like, what is your view on, because you said you don't identify as, as a Christian. Where are we in the state of Christianity, religion? Like, what is happening right now in 2019? Because younger kids are leaving the churches, right? Like, there is all the Christian church or the Catholic church over the last decade has seen tremendous upheaval with the children, abuse scandals, all of right. this taking place so within the catholic church yeah right so what do you like where are you on the like where do you see the church or however you would like to address call it yourself right now at like present moment 2019 and maybe where do you see it going moving forward well i know what i hope and the zeitgeist i would say that's going on is a decentralizing of that knowledge of how we talk about christ of how we talk about religion everything has been exegesis so exegesis means interpretation so everything has been interpreted by and and with an agenda so 
when Pope Gregory gave his homily 33 in the sixth century, when he spoke of Mary Magdalene as the prostitute, his agenda was to be able to denigrate her teachings and to portray her as someone less powerful than she really was. So, and also to make certain that women and women's voices and their bodies were considered more sinful. So I could launch into about another half hour. I know we don't have it of the teachings around that, the seven powers and how they became the seven deadly sins in Christianity, but they weren't that in Mary's gospel. They were simply powers. But so I know what I love about this time right now. I saw when they see us last night and you know, the power of telling that story of revisiting that horrific story and being able to decentralize the storyteller, right? Who's telling it. So rather than the media and the, you know, Trump and the people in power telling that story and convicting those innocent boys, we have the voice, the voices of those that weren't in power and now they're being centralized in the story. So we're hearing from them. And I feel like that is a part of this zeitgeist is a woman who was made out to be a prostitute and whose gospel was buried and silenced and whose role in a Christianity that really could have unfolded was silence. Now, for whatever reason, the time has arrived when we can hear her story and we can begin to hear what we couldn't hear before for whatever reasons, you know, where it's a decentralizing of power, which I think is the most exciting and the most needed thing ever. When you're speaking, I just want to summarize and say for those listening that it really makes a lot of sense that an organization that thrives on power and specifically financial power would purposefully and systematically silence the very teaching that would be bringing people into knowing that the only truth is within themselves because then exactly controlled exactly i want to highlight that in case people didn't catch that yes yes if i can ultimately connect to the love that is love that is that's within me exactly then no one outside of me has power over me and that's a very beautiful and scary thing. It's scary for the people <laughs> in power over. Right. And really beautiful for everyone else. Yes. Who are participating in power with. What Tyler Perry said at the BET award, you know, along the same thing, he's like, I'm building my business in Atlanta and I'm doing it my way. And I own the property that used to be a building that was owned by Confederate soldiers, you know? Yeah. And he's like, I'm not waiting for anyone he was talking about like the Oscars is too white. Right. You know, and he's right. just like, I'm not worried. It's like, I'm just going to keep going. Yeah. Right. You I'm know? building my own table. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Meg. This is amazing. <laughs> Can I have one more question? Okay. Yeah. Okay. We can have Megan on part two. I would love <laughs> Megan to talk all the time. <laughs> you can also call her. <laughs> I love you, mister. I love I you. So what, ha- what do you think happens when we die, Megan? <laughs> This will be our final question. It's a big one. <laughs> I love you. I love you. And this is why I don't date. Because my, my, I, I would never have a person on a first, first date ask me this kind of question. It's the only kind of question that really lights me up. So, Is that fear or soul voice talking right no. now? <laughs> no, it's soul voice. I'm not, I'm not meant for those kind of situations. But no, so this is, this is where I live these kinds of questions. So I believe actually deeply because of the experience I had when Shay was conceived, my experience was that I went to sleep alone. You know, I went to sleep and then I woke up in the middle of the night and I could sense a presence within me, not my soul, you know, a a presence that was, it, it was eternal. And I can honestly say it, it completely freaked me out. I mean, I was terrified. Like we love the idea of like, Oh, we're eternal. And we just go on and on and on when you really get a breath of it. I mean, that is terrifying. Like we never end. Like we never end. Like that's, that's actually really, it's, it's intense. But I, 
I feel that and I say that and I give that story because to me, it's not intellectual. It's not an idea. It's, it's an actual experience. I feel like we never end. And I don't, I have no idea what's next. I have no idea what happens, but my, my sense is that we just keep evolving. You know, we're, we're continually evolving the soul and in an effort of becoming more love, you know, whatever that's then going to look like. I don't know. And I have had experiences in my life where, you know, it's been very clear to me that we are met by other people when we're about to pass to help with that transition. Like I've had, I, I worked as a minister on a NICU for a year and I worked with people who are passing both the alpha and the omega of life, the beginning and the end. And my physical experience of those moments was that they moved on. They didn't, they didn't expire. It was a sense of something left the body that, you know, went elsewhere. I really go back to that word because I think it still holds true of, you know, in Aramaic death means existing elsewhere. I think that's, that's what happens is then we exist elsewhere permanently. So it's why it's so important to try to be here when we can be, but I don't think, you know, I have people in my life who believe we just, we just die. That's it. That's the end, you know, nothing more. I'm like, well, that's convenient, you know, cause but I, I don't think that's it. I, I just, I don't. And I, when I say that, I say that from a place of experience. I think the love that we've cultivated comes with us and that we exist elsewhere. That's all I know. Thanks. <laughs> I love you. I love you, Meg. So for you listening here, Go out, get your copy of Mary Magdalene Revealed. You can get it anywhere books are sold. You can find Megan at meganwaterson.com. Go get your soul voice meditation. Is there anything else you want people to know? Yeah, just that it's really moved me with people posting videos, reading from Mary Magdalene Revealed, your favorite passage to give voice and visibility to a gospel that was silenced and buried to me, it just creates this incredible healing and retribution for the sake of Mary's voice. So anyone who wants to participate in it, just do hashtag Mary Magdalene Revealed and tag me. Beautiful. Thank you, Meg. <laughs> I love you. I love you both. Writing this book. Yes. I am so excited to tell you that my new book, Do Less, A Revolutionary Approach to Time and Energy Management, is now out. You can get the book along with a workshop on how to set boundaries and say no, and a workshop on how to apply the 80-20 rule to your life so you can get 80% more results with only 20% of the work, plus two Maven Masterclasses over at katenorthrop.com forward slash book. And the book is available anywhere books are sold. Get your copy of Do Less.